بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم نحمده ونصلي على رسوله الكريم continuing with the discussion of the four actions booklet by Hazrat Maulana Shah Hakim Abdul Akhtasar rahmatullah alayhi we were discussing the aspect about guarding the gaze so the last part of the discussion that we had come to was that a person who engages himself in casting haram glances in the light of the hadith of rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam he is so to say given three titles those titles obviously in inverted commas the first is disobedient to allah taala and his rasul sallallahu alaihi wasallam number two fornicator of the eyes number three accursed if one is addressed with any of these titles one will be extremely hurt and displeased thus if one wishes to remain safe from these titles it is necessary to guard the gaze some people object and say what have we done we did not take anything or do anything to anybody all we have done is cast a glance these molvies needlessly frighten us nay the molvies are not frightening you allah taala and his rasul sallallahu alaihi wasallam are prohibiting you molvies do not make any masala the law of deen they merely explain the laws of deen and the verses of the quran sharif and the ahadith presented above the sayings of any molvi furthermore i say to such people who claim that they have taken nothing and done nothing but only cast a glance that if you are casting a glance is such an insignificant act then why are you casting glances simply forsake casting lustful glances thus it is obvious that they are taking something and doing something when casting lustful glances what they are taking and doing is actually deriving haram pleasure which they import into their hearts as a result their hearts become ruined when one casts lustful glances one become distance becomes distanced from allah taala to such an extent that one is not distanced away so far in many other sins the qibla of the heart completely changes the heart that was directed towards allah taala turns 180 degrees away towards the person one had glanced at it is as if the heart has turned around completely to face the object of the lustful glance and has turned its back to allah taala hence when the person is performing salah reciting quran sharif or anything else that face is in front of him when in solitude also the mind is still engrossed in the same beauty now instead of the remembrance of allah taala the remembrance of that beautiful person is in the heart the heart is not subjected to such destruction by means of any other sin for instance a person has missed his salah or he has spoken a lie or he has harmed somebody his heart will still turn away from allah taala but by a lesser extent however he will repent and seek the forgiveness of those he harmed and his heart will once again be directed towards allah taala on the contrary the sin of casting lustful glances is such that a person becomes completely unmindful of allah taala 
and the love of the person he has gazed at settles in his heart. This should not be misunderstood. There's two separate issues here. One is the sin, for example, of missing salah. The person deliberately missed his salah. The sin of that is tremendously great. And obviously, being a very major sin, it will have an impact on the heart as well. Here, the aspect that is being discussed is the impact on the heart of the various sins. And this being such a sin, which is directly, which grabs at the heart itself. person who has missed his salah, he has done a major sin. But that sin is not something that turns the direction of the heart necessarily. And here, the heart is completely engrossed in that haram that he is engaged in. So this is the aspect that Hazrat is speaking about. It's not that the sin of, for example, stealing or lying, this is not a major sin or it might be comparatively lesser in compared to casting haram glances, that is not the aspect that is being discussed here. So the person becomes completely unmindful of Allah Ta'ala and the love of the person he has gazed at settles in his heart. As a result, some people even lost their iman at the time of death. Allah Ta'ala declares in a hadith Qudsi, إِنَّ النَّظْرَ سَحْمٌ مِّنْ سِحَامِ إِبْلِيسَ مَسْمُومٌ مَنْ تَرَكَهَا مَخَافَتِي أَبْدَلْتُهُ إِمَانًا يَجِدُ حَلَاوَتَهُ فِي قَلْبِهِ Verily the evil glance is a poisonous arrow from the arrows of shaitan. The one who will forsake casting an evil glance out of my fear, I will give him in return such iman, the sweetness of which he will taste in his heart. Sadi the description of the arrow is Sihami Iblisa Masmoom a poisonous arrow in the time when arrows were, were one of the primary uh, things in combat in fighting the enemy so sometimes the arrow, the tip of the arrow would be dipped in poison very very uh, potent poison which merely just that poison touching the surface of the skin could become fatal. So now this is to be dipped in that poison so that if perchance the arrow didn't really strike at the person it just grazed him so that too would be good enough because the poison that is on the tip of that arrow that poison will do his job. And if the poison is not there then if it just grazed him it might not really harm him. He'll just get hurt a little bit, but it's not going to incapacitate him. So this is the example that is being given here, the poisonous arrow. Arrow that has been dipped in poison doesn't have to attack fully. So this is how dangerous this is, that it is a poisonous arrow of shaitan. And one poisonous arrow, just grazing a person is enough. Can we imagine arrow after arrow hitting directly at the heart? So what becomes the condition of that heart? Spiritually it dies. Meaning in terms of all the enthusiasm of, for deen, the zeal for performing salah, for reciting Quran Sharif, for zikr, 
for all righteousness, to be in the gatherings of deen, to be sitting in pious company, all these things then just become a very great burden. And a person's heart is completely averse to it. Allah forbid. And to be in the opposite situation, to engage in things of sin, of vice, sitting in evil company, going to places which are filled with all kinds of vice and evil, that becomes very easy. And that becomes very enticing. So this becomes the end result of this poisonous arrow of shaitan. This last part of the hadith was that the person man tarakaha makhafati. There's a hadith of Qudsi, Allah Ta'ala is saying that the person who will leave this, forsake it out of my fear. Not out of the fear of insan. That now somebody is going to be observing me now. So therefore now in this moment I can't engage in this. So that's not for the fear of Allah Ta'ala. And that will be something that will only just remain when a person is in public and then as soon as he is out of sight of the public or he feels that he is not being watched somewhere he is in a place where people don't know him he has gone overseas somewhere he is roaming around in China now so what does it matter he has gone to Timbuktu so who knows him here so now when a person thinks that he is now in a place that nobody knows him so now he can do what he wants so this was just for insan as soon as he is away from insan or he thinks he is away from insan but whether a person is in the presence of people he knows or whether he is alone or whether he is in a strange land at all times Allah is watching and Allah's angels are also recording even Allah's makhluk is watching the angels are recording so this is the aspect that is being mentioned here that he is not leaving it out for the sake of insan he is leaving it out out of the fear of Allah Ta'ala man tarakaha makhafati so Allah Ta'ala says, I will grant him such iman, I will give him in return such iman, the sweetness of which he will taste in his heart. So regarding this last part as it says, in other words, he will physically acquire the sweetness of iman, which will be present in his heart. This is not some worldly f- world of fantasy or imagination. It is the revelation of Allah Ta'ala. Allah Ta'ala has not instructed us to merely imagine that the sweetness of Iman entered the heart. Rather he has declared the word Yajidu. Yajidu halawatahu. That he, which means that you will physically experience. Yajidu, wajada Yajidu means something to have found, to have achieved, to have taken. So this is what is being meant here, that Allah Ta'ala himself is saying that he will physically experience the taste of Iman and find it present in your heart. Dear friends, practice on this prescription of abstaining from lustful glances and see the effects for yourself. I just often say that in this time and age, this is the biggest obstacle in the path of Vilayat. It's not that a person can neglect other aspects of Deen and he'll still get there. Whatever is required in Deen has to be done. But many a person, mashallah, is fulfilling many of the other issues. He's punctual with his salah, he's making tilawat of the Quran Sharif also, he's engaging in zikr, he's engaging in the amal, he's engaging in various khidmat of deen, and he's doing so many things, but yet getting no way in terms of getting close to Allah Ta'ala. Still going around the same block. Example we often take that a person 
he is leaving on a journey and he phones his friend that I'm going, I'm leaving and then after a few hours, five, six hours, that friend phones him he asks him, how many kilometers you've covered now? So he says, no, I've covered 700 kilometers so he says, well, 700 kilometers, so where are you now? you must be certain place he says, no, I'm still in the same street he says, 700 kilometers, I'm still in the same street he says, no, because I'm driving around the same block so 700 kilometers, I was driving around the same block so all that effort, all that time, all that cost and all the things that went into it but in terms of the total distance covered in terms of progress towards the destination still around the same block so what the problem is? the problem is he didn't take the freeway and the freeway here will require giving up together with other sins obviously but one of the major obstacles is this aspect of the eyes misusing the gaze as a result a person every time he's taking a few steps he's taking a U-turn and coming back to the starting point so this is the very crucial aspect that is being mentioned here that Allah is pleading that practice on this prescription and see the effects for yourself the heart will experience such sweetness of Iman that as a result the value for the kingdoms of the seven continents will perish from one's heart these are things which those who have experienced it they are telling us sometimes a person might think but how is that possible something that you feel in the heart that you've achieved in the heart and due to that you're ready to forget about and be unconcerned about even the seven continents being presented to you as a gift forget seven million rands or seven hundred thousand or seven million or seventy million the seven continents a person might think that what this is all just some fairy tale just some imagination what is these things what which world is this spoken about so there's one Arabic saying that couplet fits into this kind of situations that إِذَا لَمْ تَرَ الْهِلَالَ فَسَلِّمْ لِأُنَاسٍ رَأَوْهُ بِالْأَبْصَارِ now when the moon is going to be sighted for Eid so it doesn't happen that every single person sees the moon sometimes it's just a few people that see the moon but now there are a few reliable people that have seen the moon so their testimony is finally then accepted so the person who didn't see the moon also he also celebrates Eid on their testimony because they saw it they saw it and they testified that this is what we've seen so now they are reliable people and their testimony is accepted so now everybody else then celebrates the Eid and if somebody says till I don't see the moon myself I'm not going to celebrate Eid then there's a good chance that perhaps in his whole life he might not celebrate Eid because how many chances are there that he himself will always see the moon sometimes he might see it and it might just happen that he just never ended up seeing it others saw it but he didn't see it so that's the couple of the message that it gives you is that when reliable people those who are true Ahlullah they are saying something they are saying it because they have experienced it they are saying it because this is the condition of their hearts there is an incident of Ibrahim bin Adham who was the king of Balkh these things sometimes sound like fairy tales but this is in recorded history so many a times 
when something doesn't seem to fit into somebody's mindset because over time due to whatever we get exposed to the kind of ideologies we get exposed to the kind of things we sometimes end up reading or listening to and especially this uncontrolled way of just taking down any information from anywhere and reading anything because everything now is available at the fingertips just now Google has become the guide so anything a person wants is just googling something and it's, that's it everything is for him how many a person started reading up some website and then he suddenly fortunately for him he realized that he is getting very impressed with this but now it turned out that this was a Shia website and the poison doesn't come on the surface the poison is deeper down now the person carries on and now when he's already on the hook now the poison comes in how many a person is reading about all these various fallacies of evolution and Darwinist theories and this and that and the other and so called out of interest but he doesn't have that knowledge to understand things doesn't have that strength of Iman and now he's trying to just read things casually and then the person is in such a state of confusion Allah forbid sometimes his Iman is on the line somebody once wrote to him or asked him that please write a refutation of Down Down's theory that his the sum total of his theory is that he came from an ape that's the sum total of his theory so some people many people in fact had written refutations of this and there's a space for that as well but Dr. gave a very different reply now those who are familiar with these terminologies they will understand what is, it, what is called an Ilzami Jawab it is just an answer to put somebody in their place because that person is not capable of understanding the academic arguments or if sometimes there is an academic argument but it is, this is the sum total of it is this something to in little bit of a maybe little bit crude way of saying it to shut somebody up because now he'll have no answer to that so when Hazrat was asked to write a refutation so he said that look the thing is that every single person is entitled and it is his right to speak about his lineage so if somebody is speaking about their lineage that this is their lineage, they came from an ape so why should we get into an argument with him? if that's what his lineage is about we got no problem in accepting his lineage when he is himself saying that this is where he came from he says, well good for you if you came from there, if that's what you're proud about if that's what you're very happy about, that you came from a monkey and that is why you are talking this kind of things which are completely nonsensical because that's where you came from you saying so that's up to you we are very grateful and very happy and not proud in the sense in the negative sense that our lineage we are the offspring of a Nabi of Allah Ta'ala Allah Ta'ala has in the Quran Sharif addressed insan Ya Bani Adam oh the children of Adam Ali Salaam so we are the offspring meaning our great great grandfather right at the top was Adam alayhi salatu wasalam. so we are very that's our lineage and we are happy to express our lineage 
If this is what you want to talk about, that's up to you. You can carry on saying where you came from. So what's the, what's the need to refute somebody's claim of his lineage? That's not our lineage. So this is how people unfortunately start reading anything and everything, listening to anything and everything. And there are sometimes some very fanciful ways in which people say things. And even the most fallacious things can be presented in such a way that it can convince a person. There's that one story about a person who had one horse and that horse was really filled with all kinds of faults. Very, very rebellious and every now and again while just sudden, while the person, that horse is being ridden, he suddenly throw the rider off and do all kinds of things, really cause harm. So the owner got finally fed up of it. He says, now I need to sell it. So he came to the marketplace. So there are these brokers now. These people who are experts at selling things. So he told him, please I need to sell my horse. And then he told him about the horse as well. This is the problems with it. Now that person needs his commission. So for his commission he needs to sell this. So now in the marketplace now he started trying to sell this horse. So he is now has to invite the customers and entice them to buy. So he started talking about the good of the horse, all his imaginary good. Because the horse was without any kind of good. But now he started praising it. And he went into such great praises about the horse. So the owner was also standing there and listening. So after a while he said to him, that, you know what, I don't want to sell my horse, give it back to me. So he got convinced about what this person was lying. He himself experienced all the falls, he experienced the harm, he suffered the damage, he brought it himself and came to sell it off, he himself explained all the evils in it, and now the way this person in such a fanciful way lied blatantly in front of him about it, he got convinced. He forgot about everything. The Ahlullah generally quote this example in a different context. They quote it in a different context that we ourselves, we know our faults. Like this person knew the faults of that horse. We know our faults, we know all our problems, we know how deep waters we are in, we are well aware of all this. But sometimes we just hear some praise of somebody that falls on our ears and we forget all our reality. Our reality which we are well aware of. And we start also believing that we are something. Because somebody out of his good thoughts said some good words, or somebody got deceived with some apparent action of ours and he said some words of praise that already blew us up in such a moment, in such a way, in one instant that we forgot about all the things we know about ourselves until the day of Qiyamah hasn't come what right does anybody have to think great about himself that I now crossed the finishing line and therefore I've won the race or I've passed or whatever that is only when the result comes out. That result only comes out of the day of Qiyamah. So in any case, we were talking about something else. That this, this is a common thing. They call it, uh, some spoon doctors in the political line. They are people who are employed. Employed at a very, very fancy salary. Sometimes runs into six, seven figures. There are people who are experts in 
psychology and whatever else and various other things that they study and then they employ this for what? What is this used to do? They call themselves or they are referred to as spin doctors. Meaning when there is a problem now and the public is going to become concerned about something or they are going to start taking offense to something now it's his job to now spin things to present things in such a way that what was totally a problem which was totally wrong something that the government did something that somebody did which was totally wrong he must spin it in such a way that people start accepting no no this is fine not a problem these are people formally employed for this purpose meaning it's become an art it's become an art to lie to turn things around the complete falsities and fallacies must be presented in such a way that people they find it palatable, they take it, they accept it so likewise this batil that is being pumped out there and it is, there is a flood of it so people who have this art of lying this art of distorting the truth and putting it forward in a very fanciful manner they are the ones employed to do all this now somebody without that discernment he's reading it and then he gets and sort of impressed by it and then he takes it to heart now that's stuck inside now somebody's trying to explain to him something too but that what is being explained to him is sounding very simple very plain this fanciful language is not there this fanciful art of presentation is not there so now he just can't seem to digest that and that batil got stuck in his heart that can't seem to come out now this is a very very dangerous thing we should be totally alert to this and be very cautious this is a standard advice before reading the book we read the author the book now is just a word book it means any any reading material whether it's online or offline or wherever it might be but the point is that before we know the author is authentic or not we don't read what it is because we don't know where it's coming from it may be authentic and it may not be authentic so now does the person take a chance with his health that he doesn't know whether this person is a doctor or is not a doctor he is a doctor or he's just pretending to be one he is a surgeon or he's just pretending to be a surgeon he is not sure forget not sure he is sure he's a doctor but he still wants recommendations about him especially if there's a very delicate operation to be performed so he's not just happy to go to the doctor that he's aware this person has performed 50 operations he wants some testimonials from people also that what was the aftercare like how did things go he wants so many whereas that person is experienced also but yet when it comes to deen anything goes that is really a great injustice we do to ourselves and very dangerous for Iman as well. So we are reading about this because it writes that the heart will experience such sweetness of Iman that as a result the value for the kingdoms of the seven continents will perish from one's heart. We digress from started off with the incident of Ibrahim bin Adam and that brought about this entire discussion. So Ibrahim bin Adam was a king of Balkh and like generally kings become lost in dunya 
So he also was lost in his dunya. But Allah Ta'ala opened the way out for him. Sometimes there is some, some talab somewhere. There is some yearning somewhere. Sometimes there is some good a person did. Something that comes to his aid. Which he doesn't even realize when and how this happened. That something or when this was done, he doesn't link it to anything. What this is also an important point. That we should never let an opportunity of good go. Don't know when that good can bring its effect later. So in any case, one day he's hearing some sounds in the palace. He sees one person walking around. Some say he was walking on the roof. He says, what are you doing here now? He says, I'm looking for my camel. He says, your camel? Where your camel got lost? He says, well, I was walking out there in the jungle. So my camel got lost. He says, your camel got lost in the jungle. And you decide to look for it here in the royal palace. What kind of person are you? How can you find it here in the palace? You got lost in the jungle, you can't find it here. This was not just somebody, it was some Allah wala, or it was some divine help. That person gave the answer, if I can't find my camel that I lost in the jungle, here in the royal palace, where are you going to find Allah Ta'ala in all the midst of all this, what you have engrossed yourself in? This dunya that you have engrossed yourself in, where are you going to find Allah Ta'ala in this? Because he got lost in that. Now this was something like a bolt of lightning that hit him. Because this was divine help Allah Ta'ala had sent. So those words struck his heart very deeply. And he was the king of bulk. Overnight he just abandoned everything. Now this is not something to be used as a basis for a person abandoning his responsibilities. These are exceptions that happened is not a rule. In any case, he abandoned everything and disappeared into the jungles to go and get engrossed in ibadat in remembering Allah Ta'ala because if he's going to be among people then this is not going to be possible for him because of his situation. So he disappeared. Now they realize he's gone, obviously somebody had to take care, but then they got somehow to know that this is what happened. He's disappeared, he's gone into the jungles, perhaps people might have passed by and seen him, or whatever the case is, this message came around. So he was somebody very well loved as well. And people really wanted him to be their king. So the wazirs, the ministers, the whole delegation, they one day went searching out for him. They finally came, he's sitting at the bank of one river and he's busy with his tilawat. He was busy at that time. He was mending his garment with his own hands, stitching something. Now these ministers come. This was the king of Balkh. And he's sitting here. And he's patching his own garment with his hands. Previously, forget patching garments. Anything and everything. Big tasks. He'll just merely give one instruction and there'll be a whole army of people ready to do it. And, and here he's sitting and patching his own garment said, but what you did, please come back. And you left this whole kingdom and came away. We are waiting for you, come back. So now he was sitting there at this river bank. So that needle that he had in his hand, he took that needle and threw it into the river. And after he threw it into the river, now he addressed the fish in that river. That please bring my needle. As I said, these things sound like fairy tales. But this is in recorded history. He said, bring my needle. So suddenly a whole lot of fish popped their heads out with golden needles in their mouths. 
So again he said, I'm not asking for this. I'm asking for my needle. That old needle, that's, what the, that's the needle I want. After a while one fish pops his head out with that needle, he picks it up. He says, you want me to leave this kingdom and come back to your kingdom. Allah Ta'ala has blessed me with this kingdom. Not that they wanted this. That was not what they went for. But a person gets according to what he has sacrificed. The kind of sacrifice he makes, that is how Allah Ta'ala opens the doors out for him. But dunya is not the place for this. This happens sometimes. Allah Ta'ala opens it out according to what a person has sacrificed. But this is not something they pay attention to. All those gold details meant nothing to him. But otherwise he wouldn't have been sitting there in that manner. They went for Allah Ta'ala. So, this is the aspect that those who have achieved something, they know what they achieved. This aspect that was mentioned, that such a sweetness will be experienced of Iman, that the seven continents will mean nothing. So those who achieved it, they know what they achieved. They are saying it was, we should accept it. Inshallah we'll continue from These are malfuzat sayings and statements of Hazrat Mahashwadi Tanwi Rahmatullahi relating to Islah and Nafs. So the f- selection that we have here, the first one is titled as Gunaho ki Kathrat ka Asar, the effect of sins, of excessive sinning. Farmaya ki Kathrat e Gunase dil ka disk, dil ka his kharab ho jata hai. تو گناہ کی پریشانی اور ظلمت کا احساس بھی نہیں ہوتا doesn't sense the darkness that has come in doesn't feel the pain, the hurt the damage that this has brought to understand this from one example which we have mentioned many times one person passed away now, he was a plumber he had accepted Islam towards the tail end of his life mashallah he had a very excellent ending as well nevertheless he was a plumber and his one leg was paralyzed. He used to hop around on crutches on one leg. He done a lot of plumbing in the madrasa as well, various places. Passed away. Madrasa in Snembe is buried there as well. So this one leg was paralyzed. Once he was probably doing some job overnight somewhere. He was so now he was out in the open. It was a cold night, and somebody had lit a fire. So he was sitting close to the fire, just for the warmth. And in that time he dozed off. When he dozed off, so now he was asleep, but he was close to the fire. Now sometimes, person now as he falls asleep, then now his body becomes more relaxed. So perhaps in that moment, that leg slipped closer to the fire. Uh, he had as it is, the bottom or some portion of it was completely life, lifeless, meaning no feeling. Now it's slipped closer to the fire, 
So he didn't know and that fire, some flames or some spark or whatever, something uh, flew onto his leg. It flew onto his pants or whatever and caught a light. And his leg started burning. The only thing that woke him up was when he felt, when he sensed the smell of flesh burning. But he felt nothing. He felt nothing until that alerted him or somebody else saw that and they woke him up and they had to rush him to the hospital and for a good while fortunately they then it didn't get too serious but it was a long time before he that that wound was healed but the point is that fire was already burning his leg that flesh was beginning to burn now if normally just the skin is just something hot you just touch it only and it will give a shock person will immediately jump back just merely the touch on something some hot surface will jolt him and here the flesh started burning so the skin had already burned and all the sensation is mainly in the skin so it burned through the skin and it had gone into the flesh and he knew nothing why? because the feelings were dead that is exactly the situation that is being expressed here that by excessive sinning one person was working in a place where all around females somebody went to visit him one day and that person asked him now he felt very uncomfortable in that environment now he had some work so he had to go and see this person but that person was a good friend as well now he was feeling very uncomfortable now all these people are just walking in and out and dressed in all unspeakable ways so now after a while he said but how do you work here oh, I'm feeling totally out of place here so the response this person gave was I don't know what you people talk about I feel nothing nothing doesn't affect me in any way so now that story that it doesn't affect in any way that is exactly that the flesh is burning we don't know it's burning that flesh is already burning that fire has gone past the skin it's probably hitting the bone already but the person doesn't know about it why he's not feeling it this is what Azad is speaking about here that when a person keeps committing sin and sin upon sin and there's no tova and a person is going on sinning so gradually now that heart gets engulfed in darkness and then the impact it has on the heart is that it starts killing off the senses of the heart in terms of its sensitivity to sin because sin is fire sin is fire and when a person's heart is alive the person's heart is not the senses haven't been killed then the slightest touch on that surface of sin that heat will jolt him but if those sensories, that that sensation has died, it has been killed by sin. So now sin upon sin, this person is in that environment, he's saying, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't feel anything. It doesn't affect me in any way. What doesn't affect? The flesh is burning. We don't know it's burning. But then it plays out somewhere. It plays out in so many ways. and plays out so often. Allah forbid. Such a person, Allah, Allah protect us and save us. Don't know when he can fall off the brink. 
is on the cliff edge. He's not away, he's on the cliff edge. One gust of wind can throw him over. So this is the aspect that is being mentioned here. The sensation of the heart in terms of sin, this then dies off. So gunaki pareshani or zulmat ka ehsas bhi nahi hota. Now what's the danger thereafter? When the person felt that heat, because his senses were all in order, so he then immediately backs off. This will burn me. So he backs off. So now when a person, Allah forbid, slipped into something, Shaitan just tripped him into something, nafs caused him to fall somewhere, but because his senses are alive, this jolts him immediately. Jolts him to what? He runs to Toba. And he is completely in a state of distress. What happened? How did I do this? How could I have done this? And that remorse is very deep. Now that is because his senses are alive. So now he immediately makes toba. And if those senses are dead, now he's burning, but he's doing nothing about it. Meaning he doesn't go to toba also. Sometimes that some he'll hear something somewhere. He says that your leg is burning, you must do something about it. But he's not looking at his burning. He says, okay, I'll see about it later. He procrastinates in the toba. And then until it's too late. Allah Ta'ala protect us and save us. So this is the very deep lesson that is being given here. That don't take it for granted. That now I'm walking around and all this nudity is around me. It doesn't seem to affect me. So I'm fine. Maybe all these people are too weak. I'm very strong. That's the way shaitan deceives us. I'm fine. Whereas you're not fine. Shaitan, somebody had a conversation with Shaitan. He said, if I manage to find a person of the caliber of Hassan Basri, rahimahullah, and if I, at the same time, there's a woman of the caliber of Rabia Basriya, rahmatullah alayha. These are people, giants of the time. Hassan Basri, rahimahullah, among Sayyidul Tabi'een, Rabia Basriya, rahmatullah alayha, their incidents are really mind-boggling. What Allah Ta'ala addressed them with. He said, but if I find these kind of people, meaning people of this caliber but this kind of man and this kind of woman also I find them in privacy somewhere I will not be despondent from or I will not lose hope that I will be able to get them also involved in sin meaning people of that level of taqwa also but if they are in a confined space somewhere in privacy, in, in solitude somewhere then I have full hope I will be able to get them involved in sin as well so if that is shaitan's hope about people of that caliber, where do we stand? What chance we can take? No, no, I'm fine. I'm okay. We can never ever take any chances. Allah Ta'ala protect us from any, taking any chances or getting anywhere close to any such situations. Another one more force that's here. That نفس نے شیطان کو گمراہ کیا فرمایا کہ شیطان کی گمراہ کرنے کو دوسرا شیطان نہیں آیا تھا یہی نفس تھا جس نے اس کو ابلیس بنا دیا ورنہ تو ازازیل تھا بس نفس کا مغلوب کرنا کفار کے مغلوب کرنے سے اہم ہے اسی واسطے مجاہدہ نفس کو جہاد اکبر کہا گیا شیطان شیطان 
there was no other shaitan there before Iblis there was no other Iblis before Iblis became Iblis he was Azazil he was living among the angels he was Mu'allimul Malaika how he fell he fell in the trap of his nafs his nafs caused his downfall so which is highlighting this that Shaitan is an open enemy nafs is a greater enemy than Shaitan also because nafs is what made Shaitan into Shaitan so nafs is a more dangerous enemy yes if a person truly makes an effort on this nafs then he can become forget better than Shaitan it can become very good this is the same nafs when it is rectified from nafs ammara bisu the nafs that incites to evil it becomes nafs lawama and the same nafs then becomes when it is reformed becomes nafs mutmainna and shaitan shaitan is a curse forever but in itself the danger is greater in the nafs nafs has got all kinds of excuses all kinds of stories all kinds of ways of appeasing a person making him feel oh don't worry this is not an issue no no this was not wrong i have some justification for this and this wasn't really my fault and 101 million and one ways in which to just pacify us and putting us into that lull that oh, i'm fine i don't have to do anything i haven't committed any wrong really this is not my zulm also this is not my uh, any excess that i've done everything is all fine because everything is justified in some way or the other this is the tax of nafs which we have to be very very alert about allah ta'ala give us the tawfiq wa akhir da'wana alhamdulillah